I will start with what is most important. I'm not a tout. I am not giving you my picks and recommending you to play the games I like. Instead, I'm thinking out loud, using the process that I use to navigate the nuances of both sides in any given game. Hopefully you enjoy betting football like I do and are interested in hearing various ways of doing it. This is unlike any other betting podcast in that I'm admittedly a losing better giving me the most in common with the majority of the sports betting universe. I'm not preaching what you should do. I'm simply admitting to how novice narratives influence my habits. I'm a square. Someone without the discipline to lay off of big money parlays. I bet standalone television games so that I am vested in watching. And I gamble for resurrection when I'm getting crushed on a Sunday and trying to chase all of my losses. I'm an actual better, a gambler, and I talk gambling with the utmost respect and intrigue for various strategies that are not so assured of being sharp. I enjoy narrative, finding the theme of a game, the motivation of a certain team in a given situation under varying circumstances. Don't do things my way. But hopefully hearing about my way inspires you to consider how you play or would like to play. We all want to get better at betting. It's fun regardless of long-term success, but we all dream of getting good enough to be one of the true few to make money doing what they are drawn to. To start, some gambling basics for anyone who wants some clarity regarding betting point spreads. I know this is redundant to more experienced bettors, But I feel there are gamblers out there who would benefit from some entry-level concepts. We will start with reading the lines and then move into some of my favorite narrative concepts. You're going to have to pay taxes to the bookmaker on every bet you lose. This taxes the vigorish or the vig and it is simply the minus 110 listed next to the point spread. Meaning, to win $100, you have to bet $110. Sometimes this number varies. You may bet $120 at minus 120 or $105 at minus 105, all in an effort to win $100. Even money would be plus 100, 100 to win 100. The point is, you must be aware that each win at minus 110 yields less than a loss. If your record is 10 and 10, betting, let's say, $11 per game, you're down $10 because of the VIG. This is why you have to win at a 53% rate just to break even. Trying to make a profit? If you bet 100 games at minus 110, betting $11 per game, you would need to hover around 55% just to make $50, a brutal task to make the slightest 5% profit. My advice would be to look at it like a hobby versus a profession. Like any hobby, you want to get good, but it's only worth doing if you have some fun with it. If you manage to achieve the 53% number, however, it will be the only hobby you ever have that doesn't cost money. Because being profitable is unlikely, 
budget yourself. Don't bet the rent or junior's college fund. At least leave enough for the kid to go to jet ski repair school. Have an amount that you bet consistently every game or have a standard bet that sometimes fluctuates. Personally, I like to fluctuate my bets based on a certain confidence level. I might double or even triple a standard bet. My standard bet, often referred to as one unit, is a bit on the high side as far as my comfortability level. I need it to be enough money that I will care if I lose, but not so much that I'm headbutting the drywall. If I bet just a couple of bucks a game, I would be inclined to bet a lot of games without discipline standards. Professionals recommend not betting more than 2% of your bankroll on any given game. So if you have $500 to play with for the entirety of the season, you want to play no more than $10 a game. All that said, bet what you're comfortable losing, leaving enough for a meal and maybe a few cocktails to wash away your gambling woes. Enough numbers. The following are various narrative concepts I've learned over the years. Treat it like a buffet and load up on what you like while passing on those ideas that seem like the wilted vegetables under a heat lamp. Concept 1. Squares bet teams, sharps bet numbers. As the public follows the steam of a given team, the sharps notice the number. Regardless of momentum and improving gameplay, value is what is sought by the professional bettors. All of the tangibles that make a team look amazing drive up the price in terms of point spreads. This results in the number getting inflated, hence the sharps playing the other side. This is a big reason why the public is betting the teams that are hot, while the professionals are fading those pricey public teams. While following the pros and looking for value, keep in mind that the number you bet might be worse than it was days ago and you've missed the best of it. You should pass on betting these games. Personally, in my non-professional opinion, I will still bet a team if I think the price has fair market value. If I see value in a team that is a four-point underdog, I don't care if the number was plus six on Monday. Seeing some movement while still seeing value won't discourage me from betting. Do as you see fit, but consider all angles and know that the best in the business are betting number over team and are adamant about getting the best of said number. Concept 2. Lines that move against you are actually good. Think about that two-point move from plus six to plus four in the most optimistic yet pragmatic way possible. You could have had the dog plus six, and now you expose yourself slightly with plus four. The market, however, is agreeing with your pick. The underdog is getting more expensive, and the favorite that was boldly predicted to win by six only has betters comfortable enough to lay four. If you were thinking the underdog was a good narrative bet, the market is affirming your decision by giving you a worse line than had previously been available. It may not be the best of the number, but it's the best affirmation of you being on the right side. (laughs) This one is a bit confusing because 
If you're going to bet at plus six, then getting plus four is a worse price. The lesson here is knowing that when the line moves in your favor, you are going against the market. That's fine. If you believe in your convictions, you're just betting against the majority of the line moving money. In order to be a successful better, it is a necessity to be somewhat contrarian. Just always keep in mind that the money that moves lines is usually the sharp money. So going against it means going against the pros. Concept 3. Look ahead lines aren't fooled by last week's game. Once I look at the lines for the current week's slate of games, I go back and check what the sportsbooks had posted on those games the previous week. This removes a dreaded factor that clogs an exorbitant amount of people's mental real estate, recency bias. If you want to know how the most recent game affected the current point spread, This is a great piece of information. It removes the idea that a team that looked amazing in the last game is always going to play that amazing. Or vice versa, if a team looks awful, the look-ahead line didn't assume that this will be the worst team in league history because of one game. These factors can be multiplicative if the previous week's game was a primetime television game. More public eyes with more recency bias and the current line can get drastically inflated. Take a team that is currently a six-point favorite. Last week on Monday Night Football, they dominated in a game that was supposed to be ultra-competitive. When you check the look-ahead line from before the game was played, they were only a four-point favorite. This tells you that a possible reason that the line has moved is because of one great game. Now, however, one week on TV looking like world beaters, has moved a season's worth of sampling by two points. Much like the stock market, we are betting against over-speculation here and valuing the underdog as long as the narrative makes sense. Look-ahead lines can provide a numeric proof of whether a line has been inflated because of recency bias. Concept 4. Fade-winning teams after the big game. Recency bias tends to have teams inflated after a win, especially if it is a marquee game or a win that meant so much emotionally to a team that it is impossible to replicate that motivation the following week. The team is trying and has best intentions, but letdowns are letdowns. That emotion can take a lot out of you and it's hard to pump yourself up to the same extent. All of this leads to a team that is tired and or disinterested, therefore playing below expectation. The team doesn't think they have to play as hard because they reached the pinnacle the previous week. Winning spoils the appetite of hunger. This can be especially true if that team made a big comeback to get the win. One of the first lessons I ever learned in terms of narrative gambling was one my father taught me after a historic comeback by our beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Down by more than two scores, Randall Cunningham led Philadelphia back to a win the game with three unanswered fourth quarter touchdowns. The next week, I thought for sure my dad would be doubling down on the amazing scrambling Randall-led birds. To my shock and dismay, My Philadelphia-born father was betting the other team. 
His reasoning was simple. Comebacks are physically and mentally draining. The next week that team is likely to be flat, coming out sluggish in the early part of the game, or fatigued which can rear its head towards the end of the game, where the previous frantic comeback leads to a tapped tank of reserves when you need it late. I loved the uniqueness of the specific situational spot play. It would shape my entire conceptual betting theory. Dad was impassive, but I saw a slight grin when the Eagles lost that game. Concept 5. Losers are motivated. After losses, losers are extra focused and motivated to redeem their pride as elite professionals who compete with their teammates. Division rivals playing the second time can have the team that won the prior matchup complacent with the division season split or overconfident as they have already handled this team. Conversely, the previous loser does not want to drop the second game versus a bitter division rival, and the general competitive nature has them wanting redemption after a previous loss. This is not relegated to division rivals. Having been blown out last season versus your upcoming opponent is big motivation, while overconfidence can seep in after that opponent executed with ease in the previous year's contest. These are just a select few of my favorite narratives. I will instill many more throughout the season as I pick games with Mike for our entry into the Super Contest, a handicapping contest that forces you to pick five games every week against the spread. It will be a great opportunity for me to espouse my narrative BS, for better or worse. I invite you to listen knowing that Mike will be there to call me out on my more outlandish opinions. If nothing else, I want to be honest about how I handicap games with no reservations toward how square and non-analytical my methods are. I find too many gambling commentators to be reserved to the most statistically relevant methods and often aligned with consensus opinions that are unchallenged by seasoned touts. No disrespect to those who do it that way or to those who prefer to listen to those styles. I'm just making the podcast that I want to hear as a gambler, which must include the humility of knowing many ideas will prove inefficient or perhaps stupid, often both. Talking it out without fear of this, however, allows for some really good concepts to surface. I also believe that hearing someone talk outside the box can open up my thought channels. In that, you might create your own concepts after consuming one of this podcast's ridiculous rants. I'm willing to bet on it.